Today we are entering into our last message in a sermon series entitled Life Together. And I have to confess to you that I, I really love this series title and what it implies. We are all on a journey together, a journey together with similar life struggles, similar joys. And we come here together each week to wonder anew at what God has done for us and through us. When I'm asked to speak a message on Sunday morning, I, I like to think of this time that we have here together as me just saying, you know, this is what God spoke into my life as I studied this passage. I pray that it might enrich your life to hear these words, and may it give you hope for your week ahead. May what happens here in this place give you strength for the journey and tools in your spiritual toolbox. This morning, as we do life together, we're going to look at a passage from the book of John. John chapter 14, verses 5 through 14. But before we read our text, I'm going to just provide a little bit of context here uh, for John 14. If you take a peek, uh, you're going to see a lot of things happening just one chapter before this in John 13. And in John 13... Jesus knows that the hour has come for him to leave the world and to go to be with the Father. And so he washes the disciples' feet. They start to eat some dinner together. And then Judas leaves to go betray Jesus, even though none of the other disciples really have any clue what Judas is up to. And then Peter makes a promise to Jesus that he soon won't be able to keep so I just want you to recognize that there's a lot of heavy stuff that brings us to our passage for today. And just before this, Jesus spends some time comforting his disciples. He starts out in verse 1 of chapter 14 here saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And as I've laid out this map of what's going on just before this, you can imagine that, well, the disciples actually are probably quite troubled right now. So then we jump down to our passage here, starting at verse 5, John 14, 5 through 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father that the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because... I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, there's a few interesting tidbits to grab from these words. If you were to look at some of the healings in the Gospels, you would find that many times Jesus tells people not to tell anyone who he is. He shushes demons as he drives them out, and he tells those who have been healed to keep quiet, although they're usually very terrible listeners. But notice here all of this me talk that Jesus uses. He's going to be leaving soon, and so he wants his disciples to know where he's going and the GPS coordinates to get there. It's also interesting to note that it's Philip and it's Thomas who pipe up with the questions. Not Peter, not James, not John. Judas has already stolen away. Peter may be kind of stunned into silence. You know, Jesus just has predicted his threefold denial. So you have to wonder on this evening of darkness and on shadows, if these three are just so perplexed by everything that they've just experienced that they're still trying to connect all of the dots. You know, my husband and I have watched some of the episodes of The Chosen in the last year, and I think one of the most striking things to me about those who follow Jesus is just the plain humanity of those Christ chose to follow him. These were broken men and broken women who spent a lot of time scratching their heads and trying to figure out who this guy was that they were giving their very lives for. And then there's just the challenge of trying to get along with one another as they followed Jesus into all of these towns and villages. And our passage today is no exception to all of this. First, you know, with Thomas saying, Lord, we, we don't have any idea where you're going, so how in the world would we know how to get there? And then that's followed up by Philip's audacious request, which no Jew in that time would think of asking. Show us the Father, and then we'll be good. And then there's Jesus' simple reply. You've been seeing the Father all along. Really? God the Father. God the Father with a piece of chive stuck between his teeth after dinner. God the Father conked out in sleepy exhaustion in the back of a boat. God the Father weeping and crying. God the Father cozying up to a Samaritan woman with a past, to prostitutes, to tax collectors. God the Father being so gracious with sinful folks and so harsh with religious folks. Oh, and then the next day, God the Father pinned to pieces of wood with spikes sent through his wrists and through his ankles. <laughs> no, the Father has to be different than all of that. Where is the glory? Where is the dazzling light show? Where is the hell and brimstone and fire and judgment? Jesus' claim that all along the disciples had been seeing the Father whenever they had seen Jesus is far, far more scandalous and shocking than any other such story of hidden identity that we have ever known. This isn't just Clark Kent really being Superman or the lowly frog who is just a prince waiting to be kissed. This is the Holy One of the cosmos revealing his truest nature in Jesus of Nazareth. 
And whether we look at this pre-crucifixion as the disciples originally did in that room that night in John 14, or from our perspective, just on the other side of our annual celebration of Good Friday and Easter, the effect is still the same. Utter startlement and even bewilderment that this could be true. The way to life is actually through a cross. And the humble man from Nazareth, who was so full of grace and truth, was the father in our midst all along. It's hard to imagine any other stretch of the Gospels that contains so much of everything that makes the Gospel wonderful and mysterious than this one right here. Jesus is the human face of God. He is all that we have the capacity to comprehend. And he has come among us as one of us, for all of us. As he tells us, to know the Son is to know the Father. And there's a unity in all of that. You know, the unity is such that even the words that he speaks are not his own, but they are actually the Father's words. He is God's own self-expression. We call him God's word. And then he tells those followers, if you're not able to accept this on the strength of what I say, then we'll please do so on the strength of the works that you've seen. And then this leads to an even more astounding promise. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What do we make of that promise? Are those not the most startling and troublesome words yet? Jesus, Jesus says that those who believe in him have the power to do his work. And then even more than that, because he is returning to the source of all power. And instead of answering the why question, Jesus answers the question of who. He is the one who loves them and in turn who makes demonstrably clear the Father's love. He is the one they have known and that they can trust and who will do what they ask and provide them with what they need. You know, sometimes in life we want answers, even if what we really need is a relationship. Jesus had been laying out these GPS coordinates all along, but the disciples are pretty much clueless as to what he's talking about. And I kind of wonder if you feel the same way about the GPS coordinates for us as a church here in these last few months. We here as a church are on a journey doing life together. And there's been a lot of confusion as to what the GPS coordinates for us should be. And I think part of that confusion, it goes back to a mission statement that was written here quite a long time ago, long before I showed up or even some of you knew this church existed. A group of people got together and they wrote a mission statement and then a congregation agreed that that's what they wanted to live out. And you know, the hard thing about that mission statement is that it focuses on people we don't even know yet. And it comes at a cost, a cost to serve and not be served. 
And I've come to wonder if the cost wasn't recognized. Just as the disciples in today's passage didn't realize the great cost of following Jesus, just as they had seen Jesus in action day after day and still had no idea what it was all about, we've realized the great cost of winning people to Christ focusing all of our energy and resources on people we may not even know yet. And the question has been asked at consistory meetings to the leadership of the church. Are you sure you just don't want to change the mission statement? We could change the GPS coordinates. And the answer has been an adamant no. And I've got to be 100% honest with you. I don't always love this mission statement we have here either. Winning people to Christ and equipping them to serve makes this introverted girl right here downright uncomfortable. It's miserable when I introduce myself to someone and they tell me that I was their high school accounting teacher. Or that they've been a lifelong member of this church. I don't enjoy cold calls on Monday and Tuesday for those who have visited with us and not knowing what this person on the other end of the phone thinks about this freak who's calling them. More than anything, I want to just go find the familiar faces on Sunday morning and spend time chatting with them. If the mission statement writing were up to me many times, I'd just like to say, do the things that make you happy and comfortable until the day God calls you home. Great, sounds good. I can do that. Done. I have read the letters written to the leadership of this church. I've sat in on meetings, and I've heard the demands, demands that everyone here should be able to write their own mission statement, that we need to take the one that we have and just tear it up, that at our core, not every ministry in this church needs to point us to the same GPS coordinates. And I get it. The God that we have isn't always the one I want either. I don't ag always agree with his plans and his purposes. I reel against him as we've buried mothers and fathers of young children in the last few months, loving spouses and diligent followers of Jesus Christ. My heart breaks as I struggle to find words to pray and all I can do is weep. I, too, will go visit gravestones of those I love this weekend and ache over the already of Christ's coming, but the not yet of his full return and taking us home that all of us live in each and every day here. But I also have to tell you that I have lived on this broken world just long enough to see glimpses of heaven here on earth. And I've come to recognize that once you taste it, the only thing that you want to do is to dive deeper into that reality. I've had a few tastes, and it's, it's made me realize that I spend far too much of my life in the hell created by my sinful self-obsession. Jesus is the only antidote I have found to my poisonous soul, and I cannot imagine any other story or any other name for the one who is saving and I find it so humbling what he tells the disciples in our text for today. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. 
And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask for anything in my name. I will do it. Jesus tells us as simple believers that he will do the works he's been doing and then even greater things than he's pulled off through us. Are you serious? Do you even know us, Jesus? If you thought food in your teeth and being drowsy in a boat couldn't be God himself, then you aren't going to believe what's sitting here in this soul of mine. The other day I was telling Roxanne Morrison about my blunder for the morning. I was tidying up my house, and somewhere along the way, I misplaced my phone. I spent 45 minutes looking for that stupid thing. I emailed my kids and my husband, asking them if they could ping my phone. I tried my Fitbit, but it wouldn't connect to it. I recalled calling one of my kids that morning, so I knew I hadn't totally lost my mind, and it had to be around. I finally gave up and took my shower, as I was now going to be late for church. Have you ever found that some of your most brilliant moments in life happen when that hot water is pouring over you? I don't know, maybe there's some type of like baptismal symbolism in there. I don't know. Anyway, in those moments, I had recalled filing a few papers in my file cabinet in the basement. And sure enough, I went down there, and there was my phone sitting on top of the file cabinet. Well, after I told Roxanne my crazy morning story, she said to me, well, I can top that. She said, I spent over a half hour the other day looking for my phone with the flashlight on my phone. She said, you know, I was shining that light in between the seats, in my car, behind my freezer, in between my couch cushions, and I only recognized the fact that I was holding my phone because it started ringing. I was like, all right, you win that one, Roxanne. Yep, here we are, right? The broken people God is going to use so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. And can I tell you the things that I do love about what I get to do here? I love to hear the stories. Stories of how God is at work among his people. The pure joy of hearing Trevor and Mariah's story when they came to consistory of how God has been breathing in their lives. That is pure and utter joy. It's the stories from life groups. It's connecting people with similar spiritual gifts together and then seeing them hanging out with one another in the fellowship hall after church. These and so many others are the moments that take my breath away. And it's the prayer of so many here that we will not miss the GPS coordinates Christ gives for us coming together here each week. This is for his kingdom purposes to point others to the way, to the truth, and to the life. The only one who can fill all of the voids and the anxieties that swirl within us. To treat each one who enters here as kings and queens, VIPs, and then to show them around God's palace and invite them to make their home here with us. As God's people, we're not only commissioned to be the custodians and stewards of creation, we have the creator's power to do so, if we will. What does that mean about confronting the challenges of decline in the church? Well, every study that has been done on evangelism and church growth says the same thing. 
It happens when partners in the gospel begin to take up their responsibility for inviting people, family, friends, colleagues, and acquaintances to worship with them. When you and I begin to speak openly and unapologetically about the faith that sustains us, the power of God engages our words to do God's work, and people respond. We don't need to prove the truth of the gospel or of Jesus' claims. I like what Bob Goff says. He's a former lawyer and now a Christian writer. You may have read some of his books. But he says, you know, God doesn't need a lawyer. And you're not a good enough one for him anyway. Jesus doesn't want us to agree with him. He wants us to obey him. To accept him as Savior. To die to him. And then, even more powerful to die to ourselves. We simply need to confess, to bear witness, to say, come and see, and trust that the power of God is going to do the rest. You know, this little sign over here, it's been sitting in our gathering area outside the sanctuary for quite a few months now. And there's these little cards in here. And we've been replacing them. Why is that? Well, it's because you've been taking them. And you've been inviting others to join us in the journey. You get it. You, the adopted sons and daughters of the king, you are living out the greater things John talks about here in John 14. Recently, my husband went to a conference in Lansing, and he called me as he was leaving to tell me that he was on his way home. He soon figured out, though, that his GPS was sending him on M66 instead of the expressway. And he was really quite frustrated. And he got home and he told me that for some reason, his phone was set to avoid expressways. You know, there's a lot of ways today that people try to avoid the direct way to the Father. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he offers us full and abundant life. And for some strange reason, he even offers to use broken, messed up people to do great things in his name. What a humbling, amazing privilege for us to be considered worthy of that call, to suffer for his name. May he find us faithful as we do life here together today. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, we claim today that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And God, we are so humble. I could think of so many other ways for you to spread the gospel that seem like they would be much more effective than using broken, messed up people like us. But for some reason, you've counted us worthy of the call. And we're so thankful for the ways that you use us, God. Thank you for each one here. Lord, thank you for what you will continue to do. We trust you in that, God. Not because of us, but because of you. We give ourselves to you today. In your name, amen.